Christmas today, we are on our last of six weeks talking about church on purpose. Um, and we've been looking at over these six weeks um, the things that God's Word says that we are be- to engaging in on purpose as a church. Have you been kind of getting your focus tweaked a little bit these last number of weeks? I see a couple of the three people. Three people said, all right, I'm, kind of, I'm starting to figure this thing out a little bit. That, that God's Word says there are certain things that, as His church, we're to engage in. And so we've done our best to figure out how do we communicate that as a church. So that, what does it do? It causes, it, it serves as a, as a comparison, almost a mirror. That as a church as a whole, we look at, and we, we look at this mirror, and we kind of jokingly call them Port View Pete, you know, and say, are these things going on in our church? Um, are they going on? Are we, are we forgetting one? Are we overemphasizing one? Um, and that in our individual lives, we can look at it and say, built on the foundation of being people who care, the heart issue, then do we do these things? Are we in my individual life? Am I a person of worship? You know, am I a person of, of, of influencing seekers? And, and um, that, that's what we've been looking at over these last weeks. You know, and, and uh, so we talked about, are we people who worship God with our lives? And we talked about that that's not just singing songs. That's part of it, but that's, that's just a, with different expressions of how we show God we love Him. And that's really what worship's all about. And we, we looked at influencing, and who are we influencing? Anybody remember? We're influencing who? Seekers. Thank you. We're influencing people who don't know Jesus, but are interested in Jesus. We're trying to influence them with our lives to show them that, that Jesus is the, the way. That when He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that He wasn't lying about that. And even if the world around us says there's many roads to heaven, we're saying God's Word says there's one road to heaven. Right? And that we're people who connect authentically with other people in the church. That we need to have friends with many, be close with a few, and issues with none. Friends with many, close with a few, issues with none. We connect authentically with a group of people and we do life together. Other believers, we connect with those people and go through life together. Last week we looked at mentoring. And we're mentoring people towards, towards Christ-like living and understood that that's, that's what we're to, in, to engage in, that our lives are supposed to, that every Paul is a Timothy. That all of us, if we've been saved for one day, are one step ahead of somebody else who doesn't know Jesus yet. And that when they, get, when they come to Christ, then we're a step ahead and we can all invite somebody to walk on the journey with us. And that, that if we'll do that, we'll be the incubator that God's called us to be, that with God as He uses us to bring in people who don't know Him yet and they come and they find Him, that we will be the people who will then take responsibility for putting our arms around them and caring for them. And we learn this, that it's not a church program, that it's an individual lifestyle, right? Because of what we want to do. We want to say, the church ought to do that. And I always say, you're right. And who is the church? Us. Right? The church isn't a structure. The church isn't, isn't a program. We want to do, we want to do that. And the reason we want to think of it that way is because it's easier for us. Because we can, we can, we can deflect responsibility. I do too. And you do too. We can deflect responsibility. That's not really my job. It's the church's job. And I always say, you're right. It is the church's job. And God must be speaking to you about it. Or it wouldn't be something on your heart. And so um, we mentor people. We come alongside them and we influence them for Christ. And it's not a, primarily an academic thing. It's not primarily a classroom thing. It's a lifestyle thing, walking through life with somebody else. By the way, I, had a, I shouldn't even get into this right now, but I had an awesome conversation with our new district head of Royal Rangers this week. And Pastor Paul and I are meeting with him for breakfast tomorrow. And he said this. He says, Royal Rangers in the nation doesn't work anymore. And I said, I agree. He said... Until a group of men in a local church understand the only purpose of Royal Rangers 
is to mentor young boys for Christ. He goes, I don't care what you do. I don't care if you build go-karts or you go camping or whatever you do, unless a group of men understand the only purpose of this program is for individual men to, to mentor individual boys that will never work. And so I said, amen. So him and I, are, Pastor Paul and I, are, are meeting with him. He says, we're trying as a nation change this program so we come online with what God is doing. I said, well, you should have been in church last Sunday because that's what I talked about. And so uh, um, we mentor on purpose. Now we're going to come today to the last part of Pete. The last, the last like his left leg. And we're going to look at this thing about serving, about serving passionately, and the, the rest of the phrase that we've written is serving passionately with the love of Jesus. And that's what we want to talk about today, serving passionately with the love of Jesus that will bring the completeness to the body. That is, as we function in these different capacities, individually as a church, we bring a completeness that the Lord says, this is a complete picture of what my body should look like. And he says, unless you have all of them, you're not really doing what I want. Then if you're emphasizing three and forgetting two, then you're missing something that I have. And, and so it gives a great a tool for us to do evaluation. And so today we come to the last leg, the, le- the left leg, that is serving passionately with the love of Jesus. So we want to talk today about, about serving. Now I want to tell you something. Um, I'm going to approach this differently maybe than I've approached any of the other ones this week. Um, because this, I believe, is maybe of all of the things on the five, the five parts that we're looking at that the Lord defines I think it's the most misunderstood one. I think it's the one that we, as, as 21st century Americanized Christians, that we get the least. And, I, and I, I'm not saying it's our fault. I'm saying it's a result of the culture we've lived in and the church culture we've lived in for a very long time. And so in order to get into this today, what we need to do is we need to spend some time, and we're going to spend almost our entire time as a sermon today, on spiritual foundation building. In other words, what I want to do is I want to give you some foundational theological truths about serving. And some of you are going, I'm going to turn my brain off right now. I'm going to tell you something. I honestly believe this. If we get a hold of this as individuals, it'll change our world. It'll change your world and it'll change the world around us. And you say, oh, you're always so dramatic. I'm not. I'm saying, I honestly believe this today. And if you'll just stay tuned in and say, God, you'll have this heart. You'll say, God, I want to become who you want me to become. God, I want you to, I want to be the person that will get past our pride and our smallness of our view of ourselves and will say, God's got something greater. And you go, but I'm tired. I don't want anything greater. Baloney. What you have is not what God has for us. None of us has yet what God has for us. He's got always something greater and better and wonderful. And there's a theological foundation that we need to get to understand this. And I think this, if, if I get us to understand the theological foundation, if I can understand, because I'm, I'm not there yet. This, I actually went to some staff this week and said, pray for me, because this message is just, it's kicking my butt. Because it's making me understand what I don't do. And I'm saying I need to change. And I'm hoping what we do, not in a bad way, in a good way, in a good way, we look at this, this today, this theological foundation, and we, we say, God, um, wash my mind with the renewing of your word today. And that's what we're supposed to do when we come together. The Lord renews us by the washing of our mind with his word. And so I want us to have open hearts today, open minds to say, God, challenge me today. You see, I want us to, uh, to really understand today that serving with the love of Jesus isn't an option. That it's 
not primarily a program of the church. Sound familiar? Said it last week. It's not primarily a program of the church. That it's who we become when we turn to Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins and begin to follow Him as our Savior. That's really all we're going to talk about today. That, um, and I would say this, just maybe we... 21st century, well-meaning, Americanized Christians, just maybe we don't understand this as well as we think we do. And I would say, we don't. And so I want us to say, God, give us more. Don't you want more from God? Don't you want all that God has for you? And so, God, help us today. So let's do some spiritual foundation building today. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, it says this. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. It says... Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Listen to what that said. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood... As a, as a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Now Peter is talking about what here? He's talking about salvation here. And look at what he says. This is where we lay some foundations. Look what he says. That all of us inherited from our forefathers, this, from our humanity, you're all born into this world, and you all had a lineage that came from humanity. So from your humanity um, that we all inherited from our forefathers, what's he say? A futile way of life. That all of us were born into a sin-corrupted world, and the life we were born into is and was futile. It's futile because it's empty, and it's without God. He said that's all the condition we were all born into. But look what he says in the text here. He says, but... We were redeemed. And what's that mean? Redeemed means to be purchased, right? If I redeem something in the store, I'm purchasing it. So you were redeemed, you were purchased, what does it say? Away from this old life of sin. He says, you were in this, but now you've been redeemed away from this old life of sin. And he says, and what we were redeemed with, that we were purchased with the most perfect and precious and valuable thing that there ever could be in the entirety of all the universe, of all creation, all things created and uncreated. We were, we were redeemed with the most valuable thing there is. And he says, what is that? The lamb, the lamb's blood, the blood of Jesus. So he says, you were inherited this feudal life, but you've been bought out of that by this most precious commodity, the blood of Christ. And he says, and that when we, um, when he shed his blood on the cross, what he was doing was he was paying for that debt that we all inherited, and that sin debt that ha- did cause us separation from God, he paid that debt in full. And he said he paid for it, not with money, not with silver or gold, because money, so silver and gold couldn't do it, but that the only payment that could do it was Jesus. That he took his perfect life, and he paid it in place of our debt. And that he took our sins upon himself... And that He gave us His righteousness. That He redeemed us, and He paid for us, and He bought us. Now you get that part about salvation, right? We're going somewhere with this. Now, when He did that, you need to understand, something very real happened. And a lot of times we don't get that. Something very real happened to you and to me when He 
when we responded to his, to his offer and he purchased us, purchased us, he redeemed us from this old way of life to a new way of life, something very real happened. And if it's genuine, if we really came to him, then we became something really very different than we were before. Right? So he purchased us from an old way of life to a new way of life. And when he did that, we become something very different than we were before. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, it says this is how different we became. Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says, For he rescued us from the dominion of darkness, and he transferred us to the kingdom of his, blessed, of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Again, for he rescued us from where? From the dominion of darkness, and he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He says, when, he, when we respond to Jesus' invitation to come to him for forgiveness of sins, change happens. We don't just join a church. We don't just get religion. No, we are rescued from Satan's darkness, it says here. We're rescued from his rule, and we are transferred into God's kingdom. Where then, once in God's kingdom, we take on the spirit and the nature of King Jesus. And that's what Scripture teaches us. That we go from one kingdom to another, and now once we're in that new kingdom, we take on the spirit and the nature of King Jesus. And the way it works is like this. That positionally, His righteousness, His character, is given to us when we get saved. That, 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 that it's, it's imputed to us, it's given to us. So that when the Father looks at us, He sees the righteousness of Christ. He says, forgiven, paid in full, positionally, everything is right. But we also know this, that, that um, there is this aspect in our lives, from the time we come to Christ, where practically, we're not really there yet. Where we are becoming more and more like Christ in character. And the term that we use for that is that we are progressively being sanctified or progressively um, becoming more and more like Christ. So we get from one kingdom to the next. He transfers us into this and he looks at us and he says, paid in full, you have the righteousness of Christ, but also in your life you're working out this thing where you're becoming more like King Jesus. Now understand. Is that making sense so far? Understand with me here. The reason this is so important, in order to understand service, if we don't get this, we'll never understand it. The reason this is so important here is that for us to really understand serving, we need to understand our true identity once we come to Christ. If you don't get this, it'll, this, this part of service will never make sense. You'll bristle under it your entire walk with God. You'll always say, oh, I don't really want to do that. And that's pretty American. See, who or what um, are we really, just a quick thing I want you to think of, who or what are we really to be as those who have been rescued from the domain of darkness and transferred into God's kingdom? Who are we positionally and practically becoming like? How are we becoming like Jesus? What does that mean? Does that mean we grow long beards, have long hair, and wear robes? Is that what it means that we're becoming like the king of the kingdom that he's transferred us from darkness into light. What's it mean that we become like Christ? Well, here's the answer. And you need to get this today. The answer of what you're supposed to be becoming like is that we are becoming 
servants. And I think the church world of the 21st century absolutely doesn't understand this. You see, that's what we became when God stamped his stamp on us and said, you're all right, forgiven, you became a servant. And that's what we are becoming as day by day we interact with the Word of God and our minds are being renewed by the Word. We're becoming like King Jesus, who is a servant. Now I understand something, because we've all heard lots of preaching in our days. As a servant, yes you are seated in heavenly places in Christ. Yes you are a child of the King. Yes we are children of God. Yet that does not diminish that who we become as Christ followers are we be- is what we become servants. And I think that this is an often overlooked or forgotten or ignored reality in Americanized Christianity where what I see is that everyone wants to be served, but almost never nobody wants to serve. You see, Jesus clearly communicated to his followers that if they were to follow him, then that they were to follow him in his role as a servant. Grab your Bible. Turn with me to the Gospel of John, the 13th chapter. We're going to read two pretty long sections of Scripture today. That's why I just told you what the other ones were. You can look them up later if you couldn't follow along that quick. John chapter 13, we're going to read 17 verses here. And what I want you to do is follow along with me as I read this entire section in John chapter 13. This, now put this in context. This is the last thing Jesus did with his, with his disciples that he'd walked with for three years. If it's his last thing he did, it's obviously important. He knew, and he says it in here, he knew he was going away. So this was the exclamation point on the end of all of his teaching. First, chapter 13, starting in verse 1. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he was going to die, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper... The devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper and laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter and he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What I do you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. And Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet, Jesus. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, He who has, been, has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. But you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason he said, Not all of you are clean. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should do as I do to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Look at verse 15. 
He says, For I gave you an example that you should do as I do to you. He says this, Serve as I serve. Jesus knew, understand this about Christ, He understood His identity. Jesus knew that He was a servant. He had earlier stated repeatedly things like this. He said, I, He, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. Matthew 20, verse 28. Jesus understood His true identity. He knew He was a servant. So guess what He did? He served. There was no conflict inside of Christ um, because He Himself understood that He was a servant. He didn't think He was something other than a servant. So He understood that what do servants do? Servants serve. Right? No, it's not rocket science. He understood his identity and he said, as a servant, I am a servant and so I've come to serve, so what I do is I serve. And Jesus says then to his followers, in incredibly dramatic style in this text, he said, I washed your feet. The lowest of servant duties. I've washed your feet. You say I'm a leader. You say I'm Lord. You're right, but I'm going to serve you. And then he said, now listen, now you do as I did to you. I'm a servant you need to be a servant. And friends, the reason there is often conflict within us when we are called on to serve is because we don't really understand our true identity. And I would say this, a part of the reason why is because you've been lied to. I honestly believe that. I believe for years the church world has lied to you. And I tried to fight it. I tried to counteract it. But we hear voices all over it just say this, just come, we'll indulge you. Sit and we'll, we'll, we'll just indulge you all the time. Let, let me serve you. And you just be the king who demands. But I understand something today. Our, I, true, our true identity in Christ. Here's my true identity. Here's your true identity in Christ. We are servants as he is a servant. There's no conflict with serving when you understand you are a servant. That your high and holy calling as a child of God is one thing. Your high and holy calling is Jesus' high and holy calling. It's to be a servant. That's our high and holy calling. And so often people want to be served. They want to be celebrated. They want to be recognized. They want to be seen as great. And Jesus understood that. So he said to humanity, guess what? Greatness comes through service. He says, you're not like the rest of the world. Those servants lord it over people. But you're to be different. You're to become like me in the kingdom. And if you're like me, you understand your true identity is you're a servant like I'm a servant. And servants serve. That's our true identity. You know what? With joy, we ought to be able to look at the person next to us and say, my high calling is I'm a servant. And that shouldn't be something we, we put our heads down for. That shouldn't be something we feel bad about. That should be something that said, I am becoming like King Jesus. Positionally, I'm there, and practically, I'm becoming it. I'm getting the fact that when I align myself with Christ, I align myself with Him, and He's a servant, and I'm a servant. I am one um, practical or positionally, but I'm becoming one practically. I'm growing in my servanthood. Now, lest you think that I'm somehow trying to twist Jesus' teachings, I'm trying to lead you astray. Grab your Bible again. And I want you to look with me. We're just going to go really quick through a whole bunch of sections, a whole bunch of books of the Bible. And I'm going to show you what the early church fathers, how they viewed themselves. How they said, this is who I am. And it's interesting. We'll look at the New Testament. And remember, almost the whole New Testament is written by Paul, over three quarters of it. And so we're not going to look at every single time he says this. But I just want to look at the first verse of a number of books. And see if we kind, of, we kind of see a pattern here. So turn your Bible to the book of Romans. Who wrote Romans? Paul. 
guy who wrote almost the whole New Testament. So turn to Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Romans 1, 1. What's it say? Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. I think Paul got who he was. He knew his identity. Flip over to the book of James, because now the books between Romans and James, he wrote them all. Except for Hebrews, we don't really know who wrote for sure. So right after Hebrews is the book of James. Written by who? James. Okay? So James wrote James. James chapter 1, verse 1, what's it say? James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad. Greetings. Okay, I guess James gets it. Now let's go to the next author in the New Testament. Let's look at Peter. Go to Second Peter, the first verse of Second Peter. You're just flipping down, but it's going towards the back of the Bible. Second Peter, the first verse. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Christ Jesus. Hmm, seems to be a pattern here. Let's go on. Next book written by a different author in the New Testament, Jude. The book just before the book of Revelations. Little tiny book, little Jude. Overlooked all the time, let's not overlook it today because he gets something that we need to get. Jude, chapter 1, verse 1. Jude, a bondservant, or your NIV says servant, of Jesus Christ and brother of James to those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Well, let's go to the last book of the Bible. Revelation, chapter 1, verse 1. Written by John. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show to his bondservants, oh, so he understands who he's writing to, bondservants, the things which must soon take place, and he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John. So he identifies himself as what? As a bondservant. Do you think the early church fathers understood their identity in Christ was as a servant? I think they got it. Every one of them, when they wrote their New Testament book, they started off by letting everybody know right out of the chute. Guess what? You know what? Then they always put bondservant before, I'm an apostle. Bondservant before, I'm, a, I'm sent to you. They're saying this, identifying that I understand Jesus is a servant and I'm a servant because I'm like my, I'm like my master. That they understood this. Friends, if we can get this point, it'll change our lives. We must see our true identity in Christ. We are servants as he is a servant. And servants serve. Servants serve. A servant doesn't say, I don't feel like doing that today. A servant serves. When you understand your true identity, it doesn't cause you any conflict internally when you see an opportunity to serve or you're asked to serve. And so why is it so important for us to get this today? Here's the reason why it's so important for us to understand our true identity. Because we are in the business as a church. You are in the business as a believer of seeing the gospel go forth, right? Did anybody wake up today and say, I just hope the gospel just goes away and disappears and nobody cares? I don't think so. You wouldn't have wasted your time driving here today. You come here because you believe that God has changed your life or wants to change your life and God is using you for the gospel's sake. And understand this. The real gospel is two-sided. The real gospel is truth and it's proof. And this is why this is so important. You see, the world around us does, you hear this today, does not really care what we, what the church, has to say anymore. We've been completely marginalized. It's why ministries that worked 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, don't work anymore. 
Because the people in the world have, do not, they've marginalized the church. They don't care what the church says. They think we're irrelevant. They think we have nothing worthwhile to say. They think we're hypocrites. They think that we're, you know, that we're anti-everything. And you know what? For good reason they believe a lot of that. Because we've, we've revealed that to them. But the world around us doesn't care anymore what we say. They've marginalized the church. And we have truth coming out of our ears as a church. You can't turn on the internet or the TV or the radio or go to... There's a church in every corner preaching really good, accurate truth. We have truth coming out of our ears as the church, but it's not impacting our communities because no one is listening to what we have to say. See, we need truth, but we also need proof. And hear me today. The loving, helpful acts of service that we do are proof to the world around us that our truth is worth listening to. Did you understand that? Our service, our kind acts of loving service are proof to the world around us that our truth, that is God's truth, is worth listening to. Our service says that we've been changed by the truth we believe. When we serve, we look different than the world. And it says they really believe what they're saying because it's affected their lives. Just imagine with me for a second. Imagine Jesus going out into towns and villages during his public ministry, proclaiming the truth of the gospel without accompanying proof of healing and helping and feeding and encouraging. You can't read Jesus talking about truth without seeing that he also has proof. Do you really think people would have listened to him and followed him? I don't think they would have for a minute. They wouldn't have. The gospel is truth and proof. And if God is going to transform our community through us, then they, our friends, our neighbors, our families, are going to first have to listen to us. Our truth. And the doorway to anyone listening to the truth is the proof of your love for them. And get this today, that's what serving others with the love of Jesus is meant to do. It's the door opener. It's the validator. They will listen to your truth only when they see the proof of your love which comes through service. And this is why Jesus says without shame, He's God and He walks on in human flesh and He says, I'm a servant. And this is why he has said we are his servants and we are servants. It propels and it empowers the gospel truth. It's the proof that what we say is true and real. That's why the gospel is truth and proof. And forever the church world has been worried about proclaiming truth, proclaiming truth, proclaiming truth. Let's not ever stop that. But the world's not listening anymore because they don't see any proof. And they go, I don't see it as real. If I don't see it as real, I'm not going to listen. Well, the way they see it is real is through our kind service, our loving, sacrificial service to the world around us. Now listen, that ought to motivate us enough to make us want to just say, let's get up and serve. What can we do? But there's another reason. That's out there reason. But there's another reason that I want to share with you. I could have written ten sermons on this this week. I was so fighting, what can I say? There's so much the Bible says about this. But there's one other reason that I think is even more compelling to me. I think it's going to be more compelling to you than just saying, it makes what we, the gospel work. And it's this. And I bet you you've never really thought of this before, maybe never really entertained it. That when I serve, 
I actually meet Jesus? Grab your Bibles again. I want you to see this straight from God's Word. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. To see exactly what the Lord is saying here. Jesus, it's the words in red. Jesus said this. I'm going to read again another pretty lengthy section, 31 all the way to 46 of Matthew chapter 25. I'm going to point out something in there that maybe we've just glossed over as a church world forever. Verse 31. It says, But when the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. For all those who think we're never going to stand before Christ, you know, it all ends at the grave. Tear this page out of your Bible, okay? And all the nations will be gathered before Him. And He will separate them from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep and the goats. And He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. And then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed of My Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And King Jesus will answer and say to them, Truly, I say to you, To the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. And then he'll also say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. And then they, will, then they themselves also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? And then he will answer them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Look closely at verse 40. Verse 40 will change your world. To the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Was me capitalized there? Yeah. To the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to Jesus. You see, when we minister to other people, we often say things like this. Well, we are being Jesus to them. Or we are Jesus' hands and feet to them. And that is true. When we serve, we do reveal Jesus, His love to those people whom we serve. We say, I do this in Jesus' love because of Jesus. That's true. But that's not what this text is saying. That's not at all what this text is saying. Matthew says says something totally different here about service. Matthew says it's not those to whom we minister to who meet Jesus in ministry, that it's the ones who are doing the ministry who meet Jesus. The ones who are serving are the ones who meet Jesus. That we're not Jesus to them, that they're Jesus to us. Verse 40 says, you did it to me. You ministered to Jesus. When you served, when you did any of the things he listed, 
You actually ministered to Christ. Notice what Jesus says. He calls them. He says, when you minister to these brothers of mine, even the least of them, he says, so in even the most impoverished, even the most far from God, even the ones with the least of anything in the world, notice that they are united. These brothers of mine, these brothers of Jesus, that they are his family, that they are his creation, that they are his, the apple of his eye, that they are the, 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 um, the, the point of his love, the object of his love. And as you meet them, you meet him. That's what he's saying. That when you meet them, even the least of these, in acts of service, that you actually are standing face to face with Jesus. And that's what we want to do. You meet them. The truth of this will save your life. Will save. Will change your life. Suddenly, when you're doing service, and bear with me what way I said I'm going to be real sarcastic here for a minute, towards all of us, me included. Suddenly, when you go to City on a Hill, you're not handing out food to that welfare guy who, if he just got a job, would crawl out of the gutter. Suddenly, when you're helping that single mom with whatever money for gas, and you're looking down your spiritual nose and saying, well, if she would just stop having babies, maybe she could pay her bills more. And we say it, and we think it. No, you see them differently. You see Jesus in them. You feed, you, you, you feel Jesus' love for them when you serve them. You see, we have to see people differently. We need to see Jesus in their eyes. You know, when I look at Brett, let me embarrass Brett, when I look at Brett in his eyes, I see my dad. From the day he was born, the boy said to Suzanne, he has my dad's eyes. And when I look at him to this day and I'm sitting there looking at Brett in the eyes, I see my dad. Now my dad's not really standing there, but I look in his eyes and I see my father. Friends, we have to see people differently. We need to see Jesus in their eyes. Then we will willingly and happily serve Jesus in them who gave everything for us. You touch Jesus when you touch a, another person. You touch Jesus. That motivates me to want to share Christ. When I serve, I actually meet Jesus. We need to get a hold of this as a church. We need to let it change our lives. That when I serve, I actually serve Christ. I can actually meet with Jesus. Those are Jesus' words. Does that, does that grab your heart at all today? I hope it does. Let me close with one last thought about serving. And it's this. Finding where or how you serve simply requires opening our eyes to the needs around us. Look in verses 35 and 36. It says, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Look what he says. Pay attention to what he just said. None of these things listed require great skill or great resources. We love to make excuses. Oh, I don't have the talent, or I don't have the money. None of these things require great skill or great resources. He says a meal, a shirt, an hour of your time, a visit 
in the hospital or the prison. Friends, the needs are all around us. And Jesus calls his followers to serve those in need. And friends, as we do, we prove the gospel and we meet Jesus. We show the gospel is real and we meet Jesus. And I want to tell you something, that's what I want. I want to meet Jesus every day. I want to see him. I want to see Jesus in other people's eyes. I'm asking God to change me. I'm saying, God, I'm all in on this. I want to, I want to every day see you in somebody else instead of having my arrogant viewpoint that we all have so often and say, well, that's just their fault. I want to see Jesus in them. Let the rest up to God. Working on this message this week just punched me in the face. It just, I, I just wrestled with this truth and said, God, I need to grow, I need to change. And God, as a church, we need to grow and we need to change. And I just want to share a simple story with you that happened this week. And I wrestled with saying this story. I didn't want to say it because I thought what could happen is you could say, oh, Mark's trying to toot his horn. I promise you I'm not. It's just simple. But I'm going to say as I wrestled with these truths this week, um, this was just natural. And it's not un- unlike something we, Suzanne and I would have done in the past, but as, as I heard the situation, this is what came to me. The fact that I can see Jesus in somebody else's eyes and then I can open up the doorway for the gospel. And it wasn't just a, a duty, but it was a compulsion. I want to do that. This is what happened this week. Brett came home from school. And he told me about a, a friend of his in, in, in class. And you've known this kid for a long time. And um, known him for a long time. And, and it's been one of his friends. And, and um, he, said, he said, Dad, I was sitting in class. And, and this, should I not share this? Is it okay? And um, he said, this kid sits next to me and... and in our math class, he can't do his work. I said, you know, said, why? He said, well, he doesn't have a graphing calculator. He said he doesn't have a work. And he talked about his family situation. And, and we've known this boy for a long time. And he's had really, really, really difficult home life that happened with the death of a parent and, and struggling. And, and got a lot of struggle in their life. And, uh, but, you know, been Brett's friend for a long time. And he said he can't do the work because he doesn't have a calculator. I said, what do you mean he doesn't have a calculator? I said, are you telling me? That I know every time, if you have high school kids, you know every single class, they go to a different math class, they say, oh, by the way, the calculator I had last year isn't any good this year. Right? So you need to go buy another one that does the next function. They don't tell you when they're a freshman. Just buy this one to start with. So every year you have to buy a new calculator, and they're bigger and more expensive. And, and so he said, they just can't afford to buy the calculator. And I said, well, your class has to have calculators for kids who can't afford to buy them. After all, they get this and this and this in the school. Are you telling me they don't have calculators? He said, there's no, there's no calculators available. It's a requirement for the class. You have to have the class test. You have to have the calculator. And so he says, you know, my friend got a, a zero out of 20 in his last quiz because he couldn't do the quiz because he didn't have the calculator. I said, you're kidding me. And I said, would he take a calculator if we gave it to him? And he goes, I don't know. I said, well, let's kind of fudge how we do it and say that we just have it laying around the house and, and find out if he'd take one. So, so he said, yeah, we can... We can get him a calculator. He'd take it if we had one laying around the house. So after we moved Pastor Chris on, on Saturday, helped him move into his new house, we stopped at Walmart. And we went and we bought a new calculator. And Brett's going to give it to him tomorrow. Now there's a reason why I say that, except he doesn't give them to him. He's going to give it to him tomorrow. And I hope he doesn't listen to this message. <laughs> the reason I say this is this. I wanted to do it. I'm like, God, that's, that's you. 
God, it's not fair. And this justice part of me wells up and says, it's not fair that that kid sitting next to you just because of his life situation can't do his basic math. That could be the gateway to get him out of the situation their family's in and have a much better life because he excels in school and, you know, and, he, and he succeeds. It's not right, God. Jesus, it's not right that you're handcuffed like that. So let's go buy the calculator. And so we went and we bought the calculator and Brett's going to you know, say, oh, here's the one we had laying around. You know, in the house, just laying there. Honestly, friends, understand, I didn't say that because I wanted to have you say, oh, isn't that wonderful? I did it because as I wrestled with these truths this week, you know, and I thought, I get this service stuff. I really thought, I get it. As I looked at it, I said, I don't get it at all. I don't get it at all. We bristle when people say, would you serve? We bristle when somebody says, oh, would you serve in the nursery? Or, or we have a City on a Hill event coming up, which we did last Saturday. And we say, who all wants to go to City on a Hill? And, and you know, well, I'm busy doing that and that. And I'm not saying you've got to go to City on a Hill. I'm saying this. There's a million opportunities all around you. And we make a million and one excuses for a reason. We don't understand our true identity. That I'm a servant. That's my high and holy calling. And servants serve. And that's what you do. And then when I get to serve, I get to actually see Jesus. I see him in the eyes of another person. And Jesus said, to the le- as you do it to the least of these, my brothers, you've done it to me. And here's my, here's my hope today, that God will get a hold of us. That God will get a hold of me and he'll, he'll, he'll wash my mind with the renewing of his word. And I'll stop listening to the lives of the world that says that true leadership, true identity comes from being served but I'll identify with the one who saved me by his grace and died on a cross for me and says, no, 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 no. If you're in me, I serve, so you serve. That's what we want today. I want us to identify with Christ. And I really believe this, it'll change our world. And it's going to open up the doorway for the truth of the gospel that the world as a whole just isn't listening to anymore because they say, I don't see it as real in the lives of the Christ followers. But if we understand I'm just a servant, then everything we do flows out of our identity. I'm a servant. Does that make sense today? Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to close in prayer, and I'm just going to pray that God would help us have eyes that see those needs that we have been trained to overlook. We have trained ourselves, or the world's trained us, to overlook the needs around us. And they got to open up our eyes to the needs, and we would be empowered to help through service the people around us that he's put, put it right there with a meal or a shirt or a visit an hour of our time, that we would be open to that. And this is what I'm going to do then. After we have a, a moment, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask anybody if they don't know Christ yet, give them a chance to respond. But then I'm just going to invite you to come and to spend some time praying around our altars. And ask God to breathe the truth of His Word into you. Ask Him to burn up anything I said that's wrong. Just say, forget what Larson said. Help us just to be affected by Your Word. And ask Him to breathe that into our fibers of our being. And some of us, especially us guys, we don't get this. We want to be champions. We want to be leaders. Well, guess what Jesus said? Yeah, you are. Be a servant. Let's put our pride aside. And I'm not saying every one of you needs to come up to an altar and that's an, a, a sign that you're somehow responding. But I'm going to say, come and spend some time in prayer at the altar. I'd love to pray with you. 
or spend some time in your seat just saying, God, now breathe this into me. I've heard it now. Now make it, help it to begin to change me. Wash my mind with the renewing of the word. So Heavenly Father, open up our eyes to our high and holy calling. That we are called to be servants. That Jesus, you stood without any shame and you said, I am a servant. And that when we get saved, we get brought out of the darkness and into the light and we become more like you, what we become is a servant. God, help us to identify with that today. Break down the walls that have been established, the lies that we've been taught to believe that, that say we're, that we're just the opposite of a servant. That somehow that success means everybody serves you instead of success means we serve those around us. We help them to succeed. That as a boss, the way we serve is we help all the people around us succeed and then we know this, then we succeed because the company or the business succeeds because we're helping other people to fulfill their calling. That we're really serving the people. We're not, we're not overlording. We're said we're humble and we're serving. That as moms and dads, as children, we're servants.